0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Equity.
0: Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and unfortunately, not like always, we do not have Alec with us. He is still at home with COVID, but the show goes on and I am very excited to uh, have another expert in the studio with us. It is my pleasure to welcome Stephen Glass. Stephen, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Stephen, is the Managing Director and Investment Analyst at Pella Funds Management. He has more than 20 years of investment experience. And today we're going to be covering uh, ESG investing and uh, all things that come with launching a fund in 2022. (laughs) What a time to launch. But Stephen, I want to start with a bit of a game just to kind of get your thoughts on where you think some stocks lie on the ESG sort of framework. Mm. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the Game shoot shag marry, <laughs> <laughs> But we're gonna call it short hodl buy. So okay. I, I'm gonna give you three stocks. I want you to tell me which one you would short. Yes. Yeah. Which one you would hodl or just you're neutral on. Yes. And which one you would buy. Now this okay. is not a buy, hold, sell recommendation, okay. but just of the three. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we've got Tesla, Fortescue, and Facebook. Okay. Wow. So let's
1: start with short. Which one would you short out of Tesla? Fortescue and Facebook. Is it based purely on investment metrics, or is it based on investment, investment and ESG? It is completely up to you. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to I'm going to focus on investment metrics for the time being. There's two shorts there for me, okay, but okay. I'm not. I'm only going to. That's not the game. I'm going to have to short Tesla. Okay. It's just too expensive. Okay. It's, we've been think, saying actually we've been saying that since it was a trillion dollars, now about 500, 600 billion, but it is just too expensive. The fact, we can't we cannot make the numbers work. Right. So that that it's just impossible for me to make the numbers work. Okay, fair yeah. call. Um Huddle. Huddle would would have to be f- um face will matter. Yeah. Which otherwise would be in my other short. Yes. Fair <laughs> call. <laughs> um, Look, that's got terrible ESG. So we couldn't hold it, to be honest. Um, it, it's got very bad ESG metrics. Um, people just dis- people do talk about the network effects of social networks. So I don't know if you are familiar with network effects. But yeah. Bas- yeah. Uh, um, so people it, people say that, but I, I just don't. I just don't buy it. I just think that we saw a similar thing with um, there was the one that that predates Facebook, which News Corp bought MySpace. 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 Yes. We just believe that people can actually move off. Now we understand it's difficult, but it is actually quite easy to just move off in droves of social media, mm. and we we kind of are seeing that with face. We've seen it with Facebook. Um, will will it happen to Instagram? Hard to tell. But it is got. It's got huge issues with its um, with its advertising because of the relationship with Apple. The whole whole reason for Facebook having great business model is because it could get all this information on its people and so it, on its users, so it could actually give very targeted advertising. Apple changed the policies so that doesn't get as targeted. Mm. So it's, it's got huge issues, but at the end of the day, it's ESG is the biggest issue for us um, at Pella. Although it is starting to look very cheap, we just wouldn't hold it because of the ESG reasons. Yeah,
0: it's a fascinating stock. If you, I think the, the stat is if you bought it five years ago, You'd actually be down.
1: Is that right? Yeah, I didn't know that. Down
0: something like forty percent now. No
1: way. Yeah, I yeah. have no it's idea. Rid- it's yeah.
0: ridiculous what it's done
1: over the last five yeah. years. But so it's cheap though. It's very. It is now cheap. You know, a free cash flow basis. Yeah, you know, it's cheap.
0: But, but does that mean it's? What's the outlook for it though? If, if more and more people are leaving it in droves, it's yeah, it's an interesting yeah.
1: question. Uh, well, I don't know if people are leaving so much as they've got problems monetizing their base. Yeah. So people might leave eventually. Um, they do have competition from TikTok yeah but it is it is cheap it is cheap mm. but yeah and Zuckerberg's betting billions on the metaverse on the metaverse <laughs> which is not working not working so yeah.
0: so that then leads us to the buy and the only remaining one is
1: Fortescue, Fortescue. so um, we we believe in commodities um, for for several reasons um, I actually don't know what Fortescue's ESG is like I have to assume that it's quite good because I know what the attitude of Twiggy is and yep. he's got a very positive attitude so I have to Believe it's quite good. We don't really look at Australian stocks much, so I'm not all over Fortescue. Having said that, um, we do, as I said, we like commodities. We think um, that for several reasons. One of the issues are with the way that the governments have have implemented fiscal policy and monetary policy around the world means that we're basically debasing currencies. And one day, what that could mean is that the world the world currently uses the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency, and if the U.S. carries it on its it's, it's current, which, which really means it's a store of wealth. So I've got lots of money, I need to store it in some asset, I'm going to store it in US dollars because it's risk free. Now, the, the problem with that is the US, as we all know, they've got these huge budget deficits, one day they're going to have to fund it, otherwise they're going to, um, there'll be less, less confidence in the US dollar. And what that'll mean is people have to, will, will want to store their money in something else, something else that will retain value. And those other things that retain value are real assets. So they're equities, they're commodities, they land agriculture as well, but are they real, they're real assets, they're not currencies, which are really based on just um, trust and faith and what that means is that um, we, we do believe that there's there's something that's going to underpin commodities as long as the US carries down its path of these huge budget deficits and according to its own estimates, the budget deficits are going to get worse mm. not, not, not well, the, the aggregate budget deficit's going to get worse and they've got a huge entitlement gap which means they've got to fund a whole lot of people who are um, retired in and all those, you know, Medicare, all that kind of stuff. So there's, there could be huge issues for the US dollars, which should underpin real assets and commodities will just retain their value. So, it's
0: fascinating. Well, yeah. I'm going to get your view on markets, inflation and rates in a moment, okay. but um, uh, yeah, that, that was fascinating. So let's um, move to a bit about you, yourself, Stephen. We love to understand the story of our guests' first investment. So it, if, it doesn't have to be an equity. It doesn't, yeah. it? just whatever you classify as your first investment can 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 you share that
1: story with us? Sure. You know, I will share it, but um, I can't even remember the name of the company. Fair call. (laughs) (laughs) So, it was during the dot-com boom. So, I was studying um, finance accounting during the dot-com boom. So, that was 99. Yeah. And I bought some telco stock that I can't even remember what it did. I just thought everything was going up. So, I thought, you know, TMT was going up. So, I thought, I don't know, it had some good story. So, I bought that. Yeah. And I can't even remember if I lost or made money. I deserve to have lost money, but um, I actually can't remember. I probably put $1,000 in with my mate. Yeah, I can't remember it. I really can't remember. I feel like the probability at that time of losing money would have been pretty high. Well, I, I may have been lucky and sold out before the crash, but um, yeah, actually, yes, yeah, so that was the first one. So I opened a Comsec account. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even read the, um, I didn't even read the prospect. I didn't even read the annual report. All I knew was everything goes up during TMT. <laughs> That's all I knew. <laughs> Fair call. Yeah. So um, yeah, those days are long past, but yeah. So
0: from it. that point to now, um, you obviously got plenty more experience in yeah. markets. <laughs> How would you define your personal investing philosophy?
1: It's important to me to get value and growth. So a lot of people want value, I'm a value investor, which is fine, or I'm a growth investor, which is also fine. But I, I find it impossible to um, differentiate the two because at the end of the day, a value of something is a partly a function of its growth. So for, for me, I like to get value and growth. Now, growth requires a quality business. It requires a good business, a quality business, or it requires a, a strong cycle. So those are the things you've got to focus on. Now, what I don't do, which I used to do, is I used I started off by reading all the Warren Buffett books, and I thought, okay, you've got to be like Warren Buffett. But in actual fact, I think that's a mistake, which is a big, big call. Yeah. It's a little bit like saying... You know, seeing the best skier in the world and say, well, they do that, so I'm going to do that. It can be very dangerous. So, for example, Warren Buffett would say, if you see a stock you like and it drops, you just buy more and you just buy more and so on and so forth. Now, that's all very well if you're Warren Buffett, who's also got this huge capital pool and all the rest of it, but it can be a huge mistake for just a first-time investor, or, or anyone who's not Warren Buffett. So um, he's also got a different set of metrics that he's measured by. It's mm. a different game he's in. Mm. So I, I, I think that's a mistake, just looking for um, trying to be Warren Buffett. I try to be Stephen Glass, so <laughs> yeah. the best that I can be. Now, um, having said that, quality does matter, and I try to find businesses with sustainable business models that have to have strong balance sheets. And you've got to think about what your edge is. It's a very, very smart market out there. Mm. For every person that's buying, there's someone selling and vice versa. You've mm. got to understand why, you've got to, why you want to own it. Mm. And um, I don't think you should focus on too much on saying, what do I know that other people don't know? Because that's just bullshit. To put it bluntly, like yeah. everyone knows everything, but you've got to understand where how you're different and how you're seeing things differently, and you've got to be patient, and and you've really got to just t- chuck out emotions. The one of the most valuable things I've learned invest in investing is how powerful emotions are, mm. and you've got to do things when it's often when it's uncomfortable. You've just got to if the market sells off, it's hard. But and a stock when a stock drops and you know say you're looking at a stock that you wanted to own and it drops forty percent and now it's your buy price, but there's a problem. It doesn't just drop forty percent for nothing. A lot of people go in their shell and say, yeah, but I don't longer like it because there's this problem, that problem, this problem. You've got to just say, I know, I've got to go now because it's this is the time. Yeah.
0: This is probably a moment in time where a lot of the investors in the equity mates community have experienced something yeah. like this for the first time. And yep. so understanding how your emotions yep. react as an investor during a time like this is really important. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What do you
1: weight out of value and growth? Like, yep.
0: is, is there a bias towards one or the yeah. other?
1: Yeah. I think I prefer, I think if I was to go in, one of them would be more value. Yeah. Uh, the price you pay really is so important. Yeah. But um, I do recognize higher quality, faster growing companies deserve to trade on a higher multiple. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not looking for low, low multiples, but I must say I love it when things are cheap.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just, yeah, at the end of the day, that's your best protection. Yeah. yeah. Now, you used to work
0: at Pengana. You're now um, at Pella Funds Management, launched in January 2021. I'm fascinated, fascinated to know what that's been like. But for those that haven't
1: come across Pella before, what, what is it? Pella is a global investor that specialises in responsible investing. So, that's ESG and sustainability. The thinking behind that is um, my business partner, Jordan Svetonovsky, and I have always been ethical investors. So, if you are a shareholder, you're an owner. Yep. That's a fact. And you've got to think to yourself, would you want to be an owner of certain businesses? Um, if I said to you, you could buy a business that makes bombs, you know, landmines, would you want to own that? Presumably, no. no. <laughs> That's <knows laughs> the answer. <laughs> so um, I don't want to own businesses like that. So that was always my, my path. And that actually started right at the very beginning. So my first job was at Platinum Asset Management. And I did look at I did look at our defence contractors and I just didn't want to, you know, it just doesn't interest me. I just don't want to make money that way. And so my whole life I've really been investing that way. And then the whole industry has just moved and it's become far more sophisticated. So we've become more sophisticated with it. We're learning with the market and we've we've realised that when you run an ESG Fund or responsible investing fund. It has to really be dedicated to that. You can't have one fund that's ESG and the other that's not. It just we don't think that works. It's got to be a whole philosophy. Mm. So that's our thinking. Um, we also believe that value and growth you have to marry. We also believe in a, in a tight-knit team is the best way to actually manage money. A team of thousands also doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and we can speak about that later if you'd like. So we launched Pella, and um, it's been a fascinating experience. I have to say I've learned a lot about business. Yeah. You know, all I've ever done is looked at businesses, but when I'm actually in one, yeah. it, you learn a lot. And I'm sure you've got a lot of experiences you could share with 100%. me from yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just learn that. And one of the things I've learned, the three most important things for a funds management business uh, you got to have investment returns mm-hmm. you've got to have good distribution and compliance you have to have top top compliance and I didn't realize how important compliance is I mean we've always comply with everything yeah. there is so much to it yeah. and you just don't want to get it wrong yeah. so it's been a great experience um, it's also hard I work seven days a week yeah. r- literally seven days a week I yeah. work in early morning till late night and it's but it's a uh, project of passion. And
0: so, how have you found the process of actually raising money and distributing the fund in a time when everything is going down? And I think also particularly at a time where coal and oil and non-ESG stocks have been absolutely ripping. We've seen some of these stocks pumping out profits and and shareholder returns, at record
1: levels. Yeah. So how have you found that dynamic? But that's been difficult. Yeah. That's been our biggest, in a, in a relative sense, our biggest um, headwind has been o- o- Energy. And that, mm. that's just a fact of life. Now, people know that when they look at us, but a lot of people don't. They just look at, you know, the headline, and we've actually kept up with the benchmark. So we've, we're very pleased with that, and we're probably a bit ahead of it. So we're pleased with that without owning any of that energy. So we've had to do it the hard way. But you know what? We're long-term investors. These things go in cycles. Energy, well, today, the, the market works. There's, there's always a narrative for a market, that's how markets work. And when there's a narrative, there's always someone who's got the biggest investment in that narrative, and they're the hero. And then there's someone who's got the least exposure to that narrative, and they're the villain. And what we, we never follow those market narratives. So if we go back a year ago, it was all about growth. You just had to have lots in growth. And there were lots of funds who were printing these phenomenal numbers who looked unbelievable. But actually, all they were, we were investing in a big narrative. Yeah. And when it comes off, you get smashed. So what we believe is you've got to have a balanced portfolio. You've got to um, – you don't have to be the, the best performer. In fact, it's probably best not to be the number one performer in one short period because that means you've got a big investment in one narrative which can flip. Yeah. And we just float along in the first quartile just steady as, as she goes and we know that if you do that over um, 10 years, you'll come out on top or five years because our last one in Pingana did actually come out at top over five years. Now, I'm just going to share a very interesting story, if I might. Sure, yeah. There's this, the best fund manager of all time is called Peter Lynch. So the best investor of all time, Warren Buffett, best fund manager of all time, Peter Lynch. He wrote a book, One Up on Wall Street. Yeah. And he, he managed a fund called the Magellan Fund at Fidelity in Boston. So nothing to do with Magellan yeah. here. And he managed that fund between 1977 and 1990, so for 13 years. And during that time, his average annual return was 29% per annum.
0: Crazy.
1: It'll never be done again. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. The average investor in that fund lost money. What? The average investor lost money. And this is Fidelity's own research. You can Google this. Now, how is that possible? Yeah. Because it was very volatile. And what would happen would go up a lot one year, down a lot one year, up a lot one year, down a lot one year. And- People being emotional would would react to that and take up money after big drops and put more money when it goes up. Now, everyone I tell the story to thinks says how stupid, but it's not stupid. It's you and it's me. And the reason I say that is because that fund had tens of thousands of investors in it. I want to say a hundred thousand investors in it, and it was managed for thirteen years. It is statistically a true measure of population no one wants to believe it but the statistical sample size tells us what what people do and i'll just paint a picture imagine you're 50 60 years old you've got your superannuation in it it drops 50% one year 20% the next year so now you're down 60% over two years you're taking your money out of that mm. you're going i can i cannot bear this then the next year it's up but you might not take all your money out you take out Then the next year it doubles and then it goes up another 50%. You go, this guy's a genius. I'm going to put more in. Yeah, you land up losing. Yeah. They would have been, now he's the best there ever is. I'm not criticizing him. And if anyone just held on, they would have been fine. But the fact of the matter is, people are emotional and you're better off. You are literally better off with 10% per annum over that same 13 year period. You would have landed up a lot better. Now, the way to do that isn't to bet on one. Market narrative at a time. It's to be diversified. It's to have stable companies, and it's to it's to be solid. To have a solid portfolio. Having said that, you can't ignore the exciting stuff. Mm. You've got to. It, it adds a little bit of spice to life, and it can really add to the um, to your returns. But you've got to weight it properly. Yeah. So in our portfolio, we have sixty to eighty percent invested in those in core stocks: Google's, Nestle's things like that just then we've got zero to 30 percent invested in cyclical stocks so agriculture commodities banks to, to take advantage of cycles and then we've got zero to twenty percent invested in those innovation stocks or really high growth exciting stocks and we create different rules around them so stop losses things like that and what that means is we can actually allocate money to those exciting things and sometimes they work and often they don't but they, it won't kill you. But if you, do it that, if you do it in a way like that, you can get some stability to your portfolio and you're not going to be whiplashed and you can just have a nice steady portfolio. So I think my key message here is it's good to have some, some of that exciting stuff. Don't have too much.
0: Mm.
1: It's good to have some cyclicals. Don't have too much. And it's good to have those stable stocks. But again, don't have too much because, you know invest in is you, you need to beat the benchmark. Yeah. So you needed to have the the differences. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess there'll be people sitting at home listening to that and saying, if there's nothing wrong with 10% per annum for the rest of your life, like that's just the average market return, right? So if you were yeah. to just take the index and live a happy life, but I guess the counter argument that you're making is then you don't have the ability, or I guess if you to do a satellite approach, yep. but you miss out on some of the exciting stuff that might generate outperformance.
1: Yeah. Well, the market's average return according to our metrics is 8% per annum. So, you're not not far off. So, that 2% does actually add up over time. But yeah, you do want to do better than 10. But 10, 10 is you'll... Honestly, if you do 10% over your lifetime, you will be a wealthy person. Yeah. And also if you go in the benchmark, you can't get the right ESG and responsible investing, which, which I think is very important. Yeah. Well, let's
0: uh, move on to ESG because interested to know how you actually define your investing universe. But before we do, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Stephen, um, there are a lot of ESG funds out there now. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of products that put ESG in their name, and it's one of it's a part of investing that is very um, personal. You as an an ESG investor is different to how I might perceive ESG investing. So can you talk us through the investment process that you take at Pella? And, you know, I guess distinguish between is it a negative screening? Is it a positive screening? And just how you define
1: your yeah. investable universe. It is so difficult. It's an alphabet soup, all these different ESG yeah. things. It's really is hard to define it. Um, I will say Pella is, where our fund's also been distributed in Europe, which is the leader in ESG. And we're something called an Article 8 there, which means we're, we're bona fide. We've been looked at the regulators. We are, we're, we, we, we're satisfied their principles. So I'll speak about our principles and we can speak about what the regulators want to see. So there's several approaches to responsible I'm going to call it responsible investing, if you okay, don't mind, because sure. ESG is one component of it. So within that there is negative screening, so that's avoiding the bad stuff. There's ESG, which ESG actually isn't about what the business does. So Lockheed Martin, which makes weapons, might I think it actually has pretty good ESG. So ESG is it depends how you define it, but it's about this is what I do. so I am a defense manufacturer, but Within that realm, I'm going to do everything I can to be, have to make have, to have the least environmental damage, the least social damage, and have the best governance that I can. So it's of, of, often industry specific. So that's ESG. So that's how you behave. Then there's something called norms-based investing, which has which has um. It's about if you do something that contravenes standards. So that's again about your behaviour. So for example. Um, so you've got negative screens, which is what you what you produce, and if you produce stuff that's bad by someone's ethics, you can be taken out. Then you've got ESG, which is about the structures you have in place to to, to guide your behaviour, and then you've got norms-based screens, which is about what have what have you actually done? Have there been controversies? So, for example, we sold out of Visa because of our norms-based screen. Okay. Now, norms-based, the reason we did that is they were implicated in financing, in enabling the payments for child pornography on Pornhub. So um, what actually happens, there were these allegations and then they said, right, okay, obviously we don't want to enable that. So we're no longer going to um, enable people to pay. We're no longer going to enable people to pay for a Pornhub subscription um, using a Visa card. Okay, but they didn't stop the advertisers from advertising on Pornhub using Visa cards. So they knew there was a problem, uh, but that only went half the way, which is actually a little bit worse, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the problem, the problem was that Pornhub had child allegedly child pornography, and um, Visa were alleged, well were enabling payments. For advertisers on that child pornography where there was child pornography. For us, that was behavior that we don't want to be involved in. Like no, no one wants to be involved in, you know, who wants to be involved in that kind of thing. Yeah. So so that was a norms based thing. So it's ESG was fine, it's got all the structures in place. It doesn't do anything bad, like it's you know, it's a payment business, but it's behavior, it's It did something bad in its behavior. So that's a norms-based screen. So long answer there. Interesting.
0: Yeah. And so then applying these screens, how many stocks – I, I'm at you. So you're a global yep. investor. How yep. many stocks do you
1: generally find that you're, we've got you're a, dealing with? We've got at least two thousand. Okay. So what we do is we screen out the industries we don't want to invest in: tobacco, armaments, for-profit prisons, cruelty to animals, things like that. We take them all. But you know, we're lucky. We're an international fund. So we invest in companies from one point five billion US dollar market cap all the way up to. Um, Apple, $2 trillion. So we've got this huge 8,000-company universe. Yeah. So you take out those, and then what we do, we use MSCI to screen for ESG factors. So they look at thousands of companies. They've got experts. And then we will take out all companies with the lowest ratings, so we okay. can't be in those. Yeah. And we've got special rules around that kind of stuff. And then what's left, we can analyze – Once we own a stock, we can actually check if it's controversies and that'll be the norms-based screen. So the first one, first can be very quantitative, avoid industries. Look at a company, does it do any of our activities we don't like? Yes, no, that's quick. Again, the ESG um, is is relatively quick because we've got we MSCI. use MSCI yep. and then the norms base is, yeah, that's where the controversies are and you often have to think more. And do you then overlay a value approach? At what point yep. does valuation come in? Well, the whole point, right. the whole point. So these, those things define our universe and then from that universe, we pick 30 to 50 stocks, typically 40. And those stocks have, we've we've developed valuation growth curves. Um, so we know if a company's growing 5% per annum in order to achieve our target return, we have to buy it on, free cash flow yield. So we think like business people, we want to get a target return in order to get that target return. If that's its growth rate and that's the valuation we will need. And we also know what the market's on. So we've worked out, we've got all these models to work out the market's value curves and that's how we do it. Yeah, right. How do you approach company greenwashing? Mm, Look, it's a, it's a topic de jour and no one, in a way, you, you alluded to it first There's a proliferation of ESG funds yeah. because there is. I have to say, I think it's a great thing. Now, greenwashing is not a great thing. Greenwashing is a terrible thing, but I think it's wonderful that there's this recognition of the importance of these things and it's the first step. So everyone's starting to move to it and I'd rather have companies trying to do something than nothing. Now, if it, there's no substance behind it, then it's bullshit. Then mm. obviously, But at least it's the first step. You know, that's the first step. At least they know they need to. I mean, what, what would a company greenwashing be? That would be a company saying, we really care about the environment, but we but their actual actions don't. That'll yeah. come out in a controversy. So then we'll just leave it. Yeah, It'll be found out. So an example. This is a bit of an unfair example, but it's, an exa- it's a real life example. Inditex, which is Zara. So they rate very highly on all ESG screens and they say all the right things. And I'm not saying they're greenwashing, but at the end of the day, fast fashion is terrible for the environment. It just is. We won't invest in it. So the, our approach is we don't touch those things. We won't get involved. Um, another approach is we we take we all the companies we invest in we approach them to get them to become signatories to the UN global compact to make a, a written commitment global commitment that has to be signed by the ceo to that they are going to comply with all these esg requirements basically all companies in your portfolio Every, well, they're not they're not all signatories some aren't but we approach all of them so for example we got samsung to sign up wow that's not bad big company we've been trying to get google to or alphabet to sign up for a long time they haven't done it but most of our companies are but we will we, we try to get them to do that but you know what even that it's easy to say yeah we're committed to it it's nothing to actually do it but You know, as the saying goes, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And at least companies that are recognizing the importance, at least they've started the journey. I'd much rather that than nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: I want to talk about some of the specific companies in the portfolio, but uh, I want to do it in a bit of a structure and go through it so the first one if you could provide an example you've mentioned visa but perhaps one where you have excluded from your esg universe due to esg perhaps not the norms but um or or maybe norms as well but you've excluded and then one where uh you have engaged with them to do better Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um and then also one that kind of just ticks all the boxes of of uh, of, of ESG okay. or responsible investing. So we'll start with one that you've kind of excluded to help paint the picture of your process.
1: Okay, um, look, there are so many. Um, for example, any mo- most things to do with food and meat. So okay. Tyson Foods, um, we will not invest. It's just cruel to animals. Uh, often, um, people do need to eat meat. I'm not judging any. I eat yep. meat. I'm yeah, not yeah. judging anyone often these animals are tepped they don't have a quality of life
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that, that's just not good enough. And they just pumped full of hormones and for milking cows, they just factory milk and they just, all they do is milk all day. They don't get a quality of life. So those are just a non-starter for us.
0: I guess the flip side is, are you then invested in companies like Beyond Meat? We're. No, we're not.
1: We're not because they're bad business models. So, okay. yeah. So, um, yeah, we won't invest in something just because it has good ESG or just because it has a positive impact, which yeah. is fine. That's a positive impact fund, but that's not what we do. We yeah. we, we, we have to make money. Like it's yeah. just – that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, so anything involved with animal cruelty in any shape or form. So I once we once invested in um, a company that did testing of drugs, so it's outsourced testing of out of human drugs and this just we just felt it had passed all the ESG screens and there was like nothing negative there, but there's just something that wasn't sitting comfortably with us. So we we went to PETA, P E T A, to check yeah. this company's track record and it turns out according to PETA, they severe cruelty to primates. Right. So we sold out. It subsequently got taken out, taken over by Charles River Labs, and you know we would have made another thirty percent on that stock. But it, it just it doesn't matter. I don't care. I, yeah. don't, I just don't care. I don't need to be involved in that. Yeah. So that's those are example. Those are types of examples. They just won't won't cut it. An example. I want to have a positive note now. Yeah. yeah. The companies with great ESG. So Novo Nordisk. Which is a Danish? Have you heard of it? Yeah, it's, I
0: have. But for those that haven't, yeah, go. For
1: yeah, it. it's a Danish insulin maker, ba- Danish um, pharmaceutical company, and it makes the the best insulin for for diabetics. It's got it's AAA rated. It has a positive impact on the world, given its um, give, given what it does. I mean, it's reason for being. It has a. It really. It, it encourages. I think it's got. A, a, I'm pretty, I'm almost certain it's got very strong representation of females on its board. It's got all the right stuff that you want to see. So it's A rated by MSCI. It does all the good stuff. We love it. It's actually our biggest position. But it's not just about the ESG. It's actually invented this drug that actually helps people lose weight. Yeah. So it's just gonna be a mass I mean, just think it is the best drug for losing weight. Is it approved? And it's approved. And it's and it's and it's just you can just imagine the growth it's gonna get. Now, we don't want this to be abused, obviously, yeah, but yeah. there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of um rotung people in the world. Yes. And um I mean, you know, I just think it's just gonna be you can just imagine how big that's gonna be. Yeah.
0: So do you find the um like what countries are
1: producing more sort of investable opportunity than, yeah. than others? Well, the Scandinavians are the best at ESG. Yeah. Europeans and Scandinavians—they yeah. they, just—it's—it it's, reflects often reflects their society. Yeah, so, so the, the Scandinavians are wonderful and we've got big exposure to Scandinavian countries. Yeah.
0: So, Stephen, before we move to sort of the final three questions to close mm. it out, you've spoken a lot about the sort of the internal fundamental research that you do and, um, and, and sort of the process that you go through, but there's plenty happening in markets at a mm. macro level. Mm. We've got inflation ripping. We've mm. got interest rates increasing at sort of record speeds. Mm. Uh, we've got house prices that are now starting to come off here in Australia mm. and in some mm. of the hot property markets around the world Mm -hmm. how does all of that uh impact what you guys do at Pella does Mm. it impact does it matter
1: and what's your sort of current view just on the broader macro environment Mm -hmm. look it does impact us and we do think about it it's inescapable like a lot of people say um which is fine. Again, everyone's got their approach. I don't look at macro. Well, that's fine, but macro is going to affect you. So, it's, I think it's worthwhile to look at it. So, we do take it very seriously, and we do look at it a lot. And um, we've got a professor of economics at the University of Chicago on our advisory board, and okay. we do, we do, um, we we take it very seriously. It is, it's. I don't think you can ignore it. I think it's a mistake to ignore it because it's probably the biggest impact on 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 markets at the end of the day. Um now where do we see markets going? Well that's a tough question, mm. you know. Um I, I can't I, I I don't really want to get drawn into that because it could go any over the long term they're going up. Is yeah. that the end of the yeah. day? Not. No. But but over the short term, there are serious, serious issues. You know, there's um yeah, there's tightening monetary policy, there's the potential for an extreme tightening of um uh, or introduction of QT quantitative tightening. So we saw the impact when there was QE, when the when central banks pumped money into the economy. What will happen when they take it out? Maybe they won't take it out. They're saying they will, but so far they've been very reticent in their actions. Inflation is very high, and I don't think um, monetary policy alone can bring it down. We need a fiscal. We need fiscal policy to to. Hand in hand with it, and we saw what happened in the UK when the fiscal, you know, when they when they depart, we just saw that market collapse. But we do need some kind of fiscal response, which we're not seeing yet. Um, so I could just I can paint a very gloomy picture. But at the end of the day, um, interest rates are not that high, and probably aren't going to go that much higher. I mean so they. They might go to 5%, but we're not talking about the mid-teens interest rates of the early 80s, you know. So they're probably not going to go there. Employment remains exceptionally strong. China has still got a long way to grow. Yes, it's got huge issues in the short term because of its property market and decline in productivity and workforce. But still, thats I think that's GDP per capita is $12,000. It's going up. Um, so in general, I have to say there are a lot of reasons... There are negatives, but I can tell you something. In my experience, we always muddle through. In the GFC, when I was working in the GFC, I thought it was the end of the world. (laughs) I mean, literally the end of the world. We muddled through, you know. Um, Tech record wasn't, I didn't think it was the end of the world, but it was a problem. We will muddle through this, whether we have to inflate our way through the government debt and we do that or however we muddle through it, we will muddle through it, we will be fine, life will go on. Yeah and it will be good. Yeah. But in the near term, there's going to be more volatility. You have to be ready for that and you have to be prepared to invest when the market drops.
0: Yeah, that's my next question. It's... For those sort of listening, experiencing this for the first time, how, how do you think about allocating capital during a time like this? Yeah. Easy to allocate capital when you're in a bull market, but a little bit difficult from an emotional point of view anyway. So how do you think about yeah. allocating capital? To be
1: honest, I find it far easier in these times. Okay, I find it hard in a bull market because I know when things are just going up like that, it feels great you're making money, but you're not making money, you're renting money. Nice you're renting it because things are going to change. I know if you pay too much and the market's too buoyant, you're renting those returns. When you buy things when they're low, you're owning those returns. So to buy a good company at a cheap price, you're going to make money. To buy a rubbish company that's just because it's going up, you're going to lose it, forget it. Unless you get out at the right time, you're going to lose.
0: Love that. When you're in a bull market, you're not making money, you're renting money. Yeah. <laughs> good quote, good quote. Now, Stephen, we have uh, come to the final part of our interview, which is three questions we ask all of our guests. Sure. So we'll start with, are there any books that you consider must read oh, yeah. and they don't have to be investing related?
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, The Power of Habit, very okay. important book. Um, the reason... I read that is because I I rarely struggle to understand FMCG. I I do struggle to under to understand brands a lot of the time. Why are people prepared to pay more because something says Finish on it than if it says Aldi on it? I just I find I struggle to understand these things, and the power of habit explains it. Um, There's one by it's called. It could be called Information Economics. I'm going to have to um, forge you the name that explains everything you need to know about the microeconomics of competitive advantage for com- for many companies. So before we, we before we started this, I was explaining d- discriminatory pricing to you. And, and that's the book that explains and explains bundling and so on and so forth. So that is a definite must read. And then I have to say um, The Selfish Gene which is probably the best book I've ever written. I've ever read. (laughs) I I wish, I wish. What was that? The Selfish? The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins. Gene. Yeah, and that's a book that's recommended by Charlie Munger and it's to understand adaptability. Yeah, that's a must read. And I think the way that relates to investing is I always remember when I started at Platinum, um, Andrew Clifford would say to me, um, and he's a very smart person, Andrew, he would say to me, when things go wrong, People get downbeat on a company, but they they fail to understand how the company's going to react. It's not going to just stand there and let the world cratering on it. It's going to do something. And I think the selfish gene speaks to that It's it, 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 from a biological point of view, how biologically we adapt to the environment if we're capable of it and we thrive. Mm. So I would definitely say that that's a must read for life. Love it. <laughs> but love
0: it. Yeah. So we'll add all those to our website and we'll put some um, notes in, show, some links in our show notes as well. Second question is, However you want to approach it, it can be fundamental, it can be just business model, it doesn't have to be valuation or anything. But what is the best company that you've ever cr- come across? It doesn't even need to be
1: listed. Oh, wow. Well, there's a few. Obviously, Alphabet is right at the top there. Yeah. Yeah. I think CME is <laughs> amazing business. And I thought Al- Alibaba was amazing until the politics ruined it. So it just showed you the po- how powerful politics can be. CME is just a phenomenal, phenomenal business. Is that the well. exchange? Yeah, Chicago Mercantile. Chicago, Share. yeah. And um, the reason that's such a wonderful business is it's got network effects. So if you're going to sell a futures contract, you've got to go where the deepest liquidity pool is. So you go where the buyers are. If you're going to buy it, you have to go where all the, the sellers are. Um, so it's got this amazing network effect, but it's it owns the asset, the security you're trading. So you're going to trade a ten-year treasury derivative. It's actually theirs. so you can't. It's their product that they design, so you can't trade it on a different exchange. Oh, right. So it's not like with a stock exchange where if I buy BHP share it at on ASX, I can also trade it on ChiX. It's, yeah. it's theirs. But then it also has the clearing, um, the clearing house. And because they're the biggest, um, so clearing house is what enables all these trades. It nets off all the positions and it reduces risk in the system. Basically, it's they're they're very important. And but in order to trade, you've got to put money down at the clearing house. And the more you have, the more you trade, the more they can net off all your positions at the clearing house. So you don't have to hold a lot of money. So if I'm going to, if I'm Goldman Sachs and I'm trading. Um, interest rates and FX futures and commodities. They say, right, you're trading all these things. This is a correlation between them. So if you had to put down $10 for each, so that would be $30 of, of capital you have to put down f- to trade with us. You actually have to put down 22 because we know about all these different correlations. So we don't need as much insurance from you. So therefore, Goldman Sachs say, well, okay, well then why would I want to trade somewhere else? If I was to trade these are three different exchanges. I'd have to have thirty dollars ten dollars mm. at each one mm. for my um, capital. but if i if I centralize it all at CME, I only need twenty odd. So of course, I'm going to do it all there. Yeah. Capital light. the business is basically a set of um, servers. It's not like and, – and, and every year they just – the biggest decision they've got to make is how much they want to increase their prices each year. Wow. <laughs> so. Wow. Well, we have, we've had Alphabet a few times from
0: experts, yeah. but we definitely yeah. had CME. So yeah. that's, that's a good one to add to the list. Yeah. Now, Stephen, thinking back to that moment during the dot-com boom when you were buying the telco stock or whatever the stock may yeah. have
1: been, yeah. what advice would you give to your younger self? That's such a toughie. If I have to say one, I'd have to say be more aggressive. Okay, nice. Be more aggressive in general or with investing with or? investing investing you've just just you've got to be you know this thing about being careful and i i told you all these things about low volatility and all of it <laughs> and it's important rewind but but no and i do believe that you need a strong base but this idea of being conservative and backing off it doesn't work. You've got to go out there and you've got to do uncomfortable things, and you've got to back yourself and put real money in, and you've got to go with the flow. But you know, don't be stupid about it. But this, it doesn't work. Like everyone wants a, a safe, sure thing. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So you've got to go out there, and you've got to be a tough person, and you've got to you've got to take it because yeah. it's not going to just land in your lap. Grab it by the horns. Yeah, go for it. it.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, great way to finish, Stephen. Thank you so much for sharing your time with the equity mates community this morning i know that they're definitely going to take a lot from that interview i certainly have some great quotes there that i've got that will uh include um <laughs> you have to do things when it's uncomfortable when we're in the market over the long term it always goes up and full market you're not making money you're renting money a few, <laughs> a few key, <laughs> a few key co- quotes there okay. but um really enjoyed the conversation Stephen. thank, thank you so you. much if you do want more information on pella you can head to pellafunds.com is that correct correct nice but uh Stephen, thank
1: This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs, or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services License 540697. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.